Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, Pastor Henry and I were talking on the phone, and uh, he knew I was going to be doing the baby dedication. And he said, well, why don't you just go ahead and preach? And um, I said, okay, that's fine with me. And, and then he, he did something that he doesn't normally do. You know, Pastor Henry is, is very... Uh, liberal with his pulpit, right? He, he allows those of us to preach ever so often, but he never tells us what to do or what not to do. He just gives us freedom. But this time, he made a passing comment. He said, you know, you might want to frame your message around the, the dedication, family, those kind of themes. And my first thought was, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, I, I had another message that I had been working on for quite a while, and... Um, and I was going to do that message, but you know, the more I thought about it, I realized that he was right. That we've had a, a visual here this morning of the future of this church. Pastor Henry is not the future of this church. I'm not the future of church. These families with their children, younger people, are the future of this, of, of this church. And so the message that I had just didn't fit. And so this morning I changed it. And... Um, I'm going to do something a little unusual, and that is I only need to talk to half of the people here, and that is the men of this church. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean you can pull out your iPhones and start surfing Pinterest, okay? Um, you know, it'd be nice if you would pay attention, and I, I think you can learn a few things, but I really want to talk to the men. The title of my message this morning is three words, act like men. Act like men taken from 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Now, let's get something clear up front. I understand, and I hope we all do, that God is not a man. God is not a woman. God is not male or female. Jesus tells us himself in John 4, 24, that God is a what? A spirit doesn't have a body like, like we do, so he's neither male nor female. But the, that doesn't change the fact that the Bible consistently refers to God as a he, not a she. In fact, it goes out of its way to refer to him as a father and not a, a mother. Now, you might be surprised to learn that in the Old Testament, calling God father was pretty unusual. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, you only see Father used for God 15 times. Now, the Jews had a lot of names for God. Adonai, Elohim, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, Ancient of Days, Lord of Lords. They had all these great names for God, but they didn't call Him Daddy. But when Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes. In the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to God as Father 165 times. Now, you may say to me, well, of course he could do that. After all, he's, he, Jesus, uh, God was his Father. He, that makes sense, right? But see, Jesus goes out of his way to say that we are to refer to him as Father as well. 
In Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus and said, Teach us to pray. And Jesus said, Okay, when you pray, this is how you pray. Call Him our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And as you go through the New Testament, this just comes up over and over again. Romans 8.15, Paul says, You have not been given the spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but you've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a term in the Greek that, that it's a term of endearment. It's like calling your father Daddy or calling Papa. It's a very intimate term. Paul says we can call God that. Now listen, it's not that God doesn't have the characteristics of a mother. We see this in the Bible. For example, Isaiah 66, 13. God says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. So obviously God has characteristics of a mother. But God is over and over. We are told to call Him Father. Now, now why is that? I believe that God wants us to call Him Father because earthly fathers are specifically designed to emulate the characteristics of God. For example, a, a mother has characteristics like nurturing and caring and compassion. And those are all wonderful characteristics. But a father, not only should he be doing that, but he should also be guarding, protecting, disciplining, teaching. So a father should be doing all those things as well. And so I just think men have been specifically designed that when our children see us, they're seeing a model of the heavenly father. Does that make sense? But you see, that in itself causes a big problem. Because not all earthly fathers do a very good job of modeling our Heavenly Father. You see, a, a young man or young boy with an absent father is probably going to tend to grow up and look at God as an absent father. A young girl who, who has to earn her father's love is going to grow up and feel like she has to earn the Heavenly Father's love. And even worse than that, there are people maybe even sitting here today that when I use the word father, it immediately triggers feelings of, uh, of, of bad feelings because of abuse or even neglect in your own childhood. So it's not always this great thing to be called father. How, how tragic, really, when you think about it, how tragic... It's such a beautiful facet of God's character. The fact that He's not some, some remote, impersonal God, but literally He's a daddy. He's a caring, loving Father can be so messed up by the sin and the weakness of men. Not women. It's men that, that are, that are they're carrying on the roles of that earthly father. See, I want men to understand something this morning. Whether you know this or not, whether you understand this or not, your role as a father is directly influencing how your children see God. Your role as a father, how you parent, is directly... So one day, when that, your child reads that Bible and it says, Father, they're immediately, whether, whether, just subconsciously, you're going to project your experiences with your own father onto the Heavenly Father. So your job, your role as a father is just huge. Now, in our politically correct society, nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody wants to get up and talk about how, how important fathers are in the role of the family. 
In fact, people out there in the world would just say, you don't really need a father. The kids will be fine. You can have two mommies. You don't need a dad. But I'm telling you, you can't buck creation. You can't buck biology. You can't buck God's design. Fathers, God has designed you. I was thinking this morning with all these babies that there's something about a mother. Let's, you know, I could, if my, if the woman, if we had a baby and my wife just completely disappeared, could I, could I raise that baby? Could I bring it to physically adulthood? Sure. I could do it, but I can't do it as good as she can. She is designed. There's something in her that's designed to bond with that child and, and nurture that child physically. I'm telling you, in the same way, God has designed a man to nurture their children spiritually. There's a great study I was reading about a couple weeks ago. I read about it years ago, and, and I wrote it down somewhere, and I thought, well, I'm going to use that one day. There was a study done in 1994, and the neat thing about this study is it wasn't a church study. In fact, it wasn't a spiritual study at all. It was done by the Swiss government. In 1994, the, the church in Switzerland was actually state-run and state-financed. And so they, they had kind of a stake in finding out why do people go to church or, or not go to church. So in 1994, as part of their census, they asked people some questions, millions of people across the country. They asked them questions to try to figure out what it is that makes a child, when they grow up, either go to church or not go to church. And when that study was done, the results were absolutely as unpolitically correct as they could possibly be. In fact, they just, they just blew everybody out of the water. There was one overriding fact, one overriding factor that determined whether a child would attend church when they got as up to an adult, and that factor was the father. I asked them to put a slide up here, uh, if they will. There's a lot of statistics, by the way. You can go back and Google it. Feel free, just Google something like 1994 church study. Um, Switzerland, and you'll, you can read all the statistics. I picked these two because they best summarize it. This is what they found. If the father is non-practicing, which means he doesn't go to church at all, and the mother is regular, that means she's there every Sunday, 39% of children will become church attendees when they grow up. 61% will be lost to the church. But if you reverse that role, just flip-flop it, the fathers are regular church attenders, and the mother is non-practicing. 73% of children will become church attenders, and only 27% will be lost. In fact, it's, it's an amazing thing. If you go read statistics, you might ask, well, what happens if they both are regular? That bottom number goes from 73 to 76. It only bumps up three percentage points if they both go to church. The fact is, there's something about that father's role that plays a huge part in the development of their children. You just can't, as I said, you can't buck creation. You can't buck God's design. There's something about children as they begin to get more independent and separate from the mother, they begin to look to the daddy. And that what he, how he sets the goals and the standards, how he, how he uh, uh, sets the spiritual lifestyle, so to speak, it means everything to those children. Now, I don't need a Swiss study, to be quite honest with you, to tell me that, because it's all over this book. It's all over this book. I went to the Bible and I thought, well, I want to I find an example of, of, of how a, a father influences their children. So I looked, I looked throughout the Bible, and lo and behold, I came back to my old friend Lot. 
If you were here a couple months ago, we preached about Abraham and Lot. I came back to him. Lot is a great character study for Christians. Here's why. Lot, the Bible tells us Lot was a righteous man. He was a believer. He was a Christian. But Lot loved the world. He loved the world. And that's why he's such a great character study, because I'm afraid for many Christians in America today, we're Christians, yes, but we're also really invested in this world. And so it's, it, we can look to Lot. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Lot this morning. So let me, let me fill in a few details, and then I'll, I'll show you a scripture. So Lot is living in a city called Sodom, and yes, that is the famous Sodom of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. It is the most evil city in the world. In fact, it is so evil that God has decided, I'm going to destroy it. And so he sends two angels into the city, and their job is to lead Lot and his family out of the city. It's, it's the night before he sends them in, and their job is to get Lot and his family out of the city because the next morning, fire and brimstone are going to rain down, and they're going to destroy that city. So the two angels come into the city gate, and Lot is sitting there, and, and he, he, he greets them, and he says, Hey, come to my home and stay in my home. And they said, No, it's okay. We'll just, we'll just sleep right here out in the open. He said, Oh, no, 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 don't do that. In fact, the Bible tells us he strongly urged them to come to the house because he knew exactly what would happen to them if they stayed out in the open. So they go to his house, they eat a meal, and we pick up our story in Genesis 19, 4 through 8. Let me read this. It says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, which is a a nice biblical way of saying that we may rape them. And Lot went out to the men of the entrance. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, let me stop and explain something. See, you read something like that, if you don't understand culture, you'll never get what's going on here. See, in their culture, and this is true in the Middle Eastern culture today, there is almost something sacred about bringing somebody under your roof. When you bring a visitor under your roof, you are basically guaranteeing their protection. Again, it's something that's cultural. It's almost sacrosanct in that culture. You cannot let anything happen to them. In fact, I've read uh, stories of Af- in Afghanistan where in Afghan villages they'll bring in an injured American soldier and the Taliban can't touch them. Because in that culture, that is sacred. You do not touch somebody when they come under the shelter or the protection. So here, here is, is, is Lot, and he's got these two men. They're angels. He doesn't know that. He just thinks they're men. And they're under his roof, and, and they're, they're saying, send them out. And he's thinking, man, I can't do this. I just, I can't do that. I, I, there's no, everybody with me? It's, it's a big deal to them. It's, not, it's, not hard, it's hard for us to understand it. But they could not do it. So he's got this, he's in a pickle. What's he going to do? Well, what he does is unbelievable. What he does is unbelievable. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. So, if you wonder what happens, for those of you who don't know the the story, the angels, again, Lot doesn't know they're angels, they strike all the men of the city blind. So, they're outside stumbling around, they can't get in, and Lot uh, Lot and his family, they're able to escape. As many of you know, Lot's wife looks back, 
and she is killed. And so Lot and his two daughters escape the uh, city. Now, time passes. We don't know if it's a few months. We don't know if it's a few years. But time passes, and Lot finds himself living in a cave up in the hills with his two daughters. We pick up the story in Genesis 19, 31 to 33. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now, that is an absolutely horrific situation. We all agree. Now, I want to know who's to blame. Who's to blame for that situation in that cave? You see, a lot of commentators put all the blame on those girls. And they say, well, you know, they got Lot drunk and... And the Bible even says he doesn't, he didn't know. He didn't know that was his daughters. He didn't know when they came in, even when they left. He hadn't known he was that drunk. It's, it's those girls' fault. But I'm going to tell you, I don't, th- listen, there's blame to go around to them, but I lay the blame for what happened squarely at their father's feet. Now you may say to me, well, how can you do that? Well, let's go back in the story a little bit. Lot is in that house. And he's in, a, he's in an emergency situation. There's pressure on him. He's got to make a decision. How am I going to protect these men? And what does he do? He says, hey, here's my daughters. They're virgins. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. They are living in the most evil city in the world, and they're virgins. See, that city had not been able to compromise them. The cultures of the world didn't compromise them. All the temptations, all the stuff that's going on in that city, so bad that God has to destroy it, and they're still virgins. But yet, they stood behind the door on that day, and they watched, and they listened, and they learned. And this is what they learned. And parents, fathers, listen to me very closely what his daughters learned. They learned that it's okay to have morals. But sometimes you just get put in these emergency situations. Sometimes circumstances change and you're put under this pressure. And when that happened a lot, what did he do? He just threw his morals right out the window and he said, here, take my daughters. And they stood behind that door and they watched and they listened and they learned. And years later, they're living in a cave and the circumstances are emergency. The circumstances are dire. There's a lot of pressure. You see, in that day, there's no welfare system. If a woman didn't have a man to take care of her, she would have to prostitute herself or beg. They had to have children because children would, would, would grow up and take care of them. So they're, they're sitting there, their daddy's old. Who's going to take care of us? We've got to have children. You see, when the circumstances were dire, dire circumstances called for dire actions, and them girls just threw their morals right out the window. And you tell me, where did they learn it? They didn't learn it from Sodom. They learned it from their daddy. See, the problem in that cave wasn't Sodom. The problem in that cave was Lot. Now, you listen to me, men. We can take our children and put them in private school. We can take our children and we can homeschool them. We can take our children and move to a cave. We can build children's worship centers. But I'm telling you, nothing replaces you. 
Nothing replaces you. In too many cases, it's not the world we got to worry about, it's us. What are you teaching your children? You see, the fact is, your children are learning from you. I quoted it early, Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. God has designed it so that your sons and your daughters, by, by nature, will just look to you for spiritual discipline, for spiritual instruction. What are you teaching them? And the fact is, you're teaching them something. You're teaching them something. You're always teaching them every single day, right or wrong. You're teaching them through your words, and you're teaching them through your actions. This morning, my sermon is not going to be long, but I want to issue a challenge to men. I'll read my scripture again, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. One of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart. What a movie. See, I think there's something in men deep down that we're designed to sacrifice ourselves for others. There's something deep down inside that we want to live a life for something bigger than ourselves. Not just for money, not just for things, not just for career, not for hobbies and toys, but something bigger than ourselves. But see, there's a disturbing trend in our country today and in the world today, and that is boys who never grow up. That's boys that don't grow up. I'm going to be honest with you. We got, we got grown men playing video games. We got grown men spending hours and hours and hours on fantasy football. We got grown men who can quote you tide charts and sports statistics and they can't speak scripture to their children. Act like men. See, folks, the church needs men, not boys. Your wife needs a man, not a boy. Your children, your children need a man, not a boy. You know, I like speaking to men, by the way. If, if this sounds kind of, sometimes you can talk. There's a reason men double-dog dare one another. You ever notice that? You ever notice boys grow up? You know, I never see girls triple-dog dare you. But I think men respond to a challenge, and so I'm challenging you this morning. Listen. In case you haven't noticed, men, there is a world out there that is designed to consume your children. And I'm going to be very blunt with you. They want to emasculate your sons and they want to prostitute your daughters. Who is going to stand on the wall? Who is going to stand in the gap? Who is going to... Unfortunately, guys, this ain't... Listen, if I said, if I said there was a pedophile running around Walker County, slips... Uh, sneaking into homes at night and taking children, you'd go home, you'd get your 12 guns out, you'd get them all loaded, put them around the rooms. And if you had to, you'd sit there all night long protecting your children. But this isn't a war of flesh and blood. You can't take up a sword like William Wallace and fight for something. This is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Who, men, is going to protect your children? Who, men, is going to fight for your children? Who's going to stand in the gap when your family needs you? Not boys. It's men. 
And let me tell you something. Please, please stop looking to the world to define what it means to be a man. They don't have a clue. The world can only model selfishness. It doesn't know how to model to be a man. It has no clue. There's only one place that you can find how it be, what it means to be a man, and that's this book right here. This morning, I, uh, I went through the book, and I'm going to be honest with you, I could sit here, and Pastor Henry would agree with this, we could preach for weeks on what it means to be a godly man. We could pick out all these different things and, and, and go over them. But this morning, I've only got a little bit of time. I've picked three things that your children need from you, men. Three things your children need from you. Number one, your children need you to love their mother. Your children need you to love their mother. You say, well, why did you put that first? Because I've come to believe in my life if there's one thing you can do for your children above everything else, one thing you can do for them that will benefit them just about as much as anything in the world, love their mother. Love their mother through sickness and health, through thickness and thin, through good times and the bad times. Model a heavenly father that never leaves, never forsakes, never abandons. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and died for it. We were talking about this this morning after Sunday school. That it always aggravates me when I, I, read, I hear, read articles out there in the world about the church. And they're always like, you, 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 you know, Christianity is so misogynistic and all you want to do is beat down women and keep women down and subjugate women and y'all just want to run everything. And I'm thinking, have you even read the Bible? Husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and died for her. Loving your wife the way that, uh, that the Bible says means you put her first. You honor her. A man doesn't, a real man doesn't abuse those that are weaker than him. He honors them. He steps back and he pushes them forward and says it's all about you. He sacrifices for them. And your children will never see that model better than in your marriage. Number two, your children need you to love them. Now, that should almost go without saying, but unfortunately it doesn't. You see, when my children were born, instantly loved them. Right? I'm sure you've been there. I didn't even know them. I had no clue what they were going to act like or be like or really even look like. But I, there was an instant bond. There was an instant... It was just instant. I'm not talking about that. See, when you open the Bible and you read about love, love is all about action. So your children need you to provide for them. That's how you show them you love them, by providing. And I don't mean just a paycheck. I mean providing for them spiritually. Your children need you, need you to protect them. And again, I'm not just talking about physically. Are you protecting them spiritually? Are you teaching them the things they know that they're going to encounter? They need to know that they're going to be able to survive out in a crazy, crazy world? Your children, men, need you to discipline them. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, 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 fathers. Bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is your job. That is your job. You know, don't tell me, don't tell me you love your children if you don't discipline them. The Bible tells me God disciplines us because He loves us. If you're not disciplining your children, what you're saying to them is, I don't care. 
doesn't really matter to me what you do or how you turn out. You can say you love them all day long. You prove it by disciplining them. And the fourth thing you do is you teach your children. Again, Ephesians 6, 4, that's your job. Yeah, I think we do okay in certain areas. You know, we, we're pretty good as fathers in teaching our kids how to bait a hook or how to clean a gun or how to change a tire. But are you teaching them eternal things? Are you teaching them magnificent things? Are you teaching them valuable things? When, when you walk in that w- woods and you come across that deer rut, do you spend the next hour just talking about all the vagaries of, of deers and all that, or do you point them to the one that made them? The opportunities are there every day, but are we doing it? Number three, your children need you to serve them. I, I debated whether to say serve or lead, but see, here's the thing. In the Bible, they're one and the same. The world sees leading and serving as two different things, but the Bible says if you want to be first, be last. The one that wants to lead, you have to serve. Listen, there is not a better example in the Bible of what it means to be a man than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, He had everything. He had all power. He had all strength. He had everything, and He stepped out of that to serve. He stepped out of that to wash their feet. He stepped out of that to teach them. He stepped out of that to die for them. And that's what real men do. A man is called to be a servant leader, to take responsibility for his wife and children, and to put their needs ahead of his own. He is called to demonstrate selfless, sacrificial love. When you do that, you're modeling the love of a heavenly Father. As I said, at the end of the day, Jesus is the greatest example of what it means to be a man. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and I close with this. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Listen, we're not boys anymore. We're not boys anymore. Paul says, I gave it up. You see, the only thing that's standing between the man you are today and the man God wants you to be is a choice. I gave it up. I stepped outside of that, of what I want to be, and I stepped into what God wants me to be. I made a choice to act like a man. This morning, I'm going to close, and I told Pastor Henry, we're going to close in a little bit different way. I'm going to ask all the men of the church if you would come forward. We do this sometime and ask men to come forward and pray, but I'm going to, come, I'm going to ask the men of the church. By the way, if you're a teenager, you're middle school, you're, you're a grandfather, doesn't matter. I'm going to ask the men to come forward. As they come, can I say one thing to the ladies? Thank God for godly women. Thank God for godly women. Thank, thank God for women when their husbands and their, their, their fathers aren't there. Thank God for women who will act like men. Thank God for women who will step up and discipline and teach and guard and protect when their husbands aren't there. Thank God for godly women. And let me say this. If you're here today and your husband's not here, you wish he was here, but he's not. Let me tell you, forget them statistics. Our God can do anything He wants to do. He can do anything He wants to do. And I believe with all my heart that when you're filling that role because your husband doesn't want to when he's not there, I believe God's going to bless that. I believe God's going to honor that. 
um, and, because that's who he is. But that doesn't change the fact that God has put a special role on men. He's put a special responsibility on men. So I want to challenge some men this morning. First of all, young teenagers. There's a girl out there right now, and she's preparing herself. This girl is special. Boy, she is good-looking, and she's godly, and she's saving herself, and she's preparing herself just for you. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would she choose you? Why would she choose you? I tell young people this. Stop looking for the right one. Start being the right one. Make a choice today that I'm going to be a man. I'm going to grow up to be a godly man, not a boy. Prepare yourself for when the time comes. Young fathers, if you're here today or you're getting ready to be a father, listen, what a responsibility. What a responsibility has been placed on you in your children's lives. And I know many of you men here, as I look around, I see these faces. I know you. I know you're godly men. I know you're doing the best you can. But let me tell you, I told Pastor Henry a while ago, can I let you all in on a real secret? Do you know the last thing that crosses my mind before I walk up them steps? This is the last thought that crosses my mind. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are going up there and talking to those men? You see, the fact is, I struggle. I'm not perfect. There's, there's so many mistakes I've made and things I wish I could do over. There's not a one of us that doesn't, that doesn't understand that, right? None of us are perfect. None of us have been the men that we want to be. But today is a statement day. You can decide today... I believe one day you'll look back and say, that day I made a decision to do it, or I made a decision not to. But today, it's time. Paul says, I gave up childish ways. It's time to act like men. Our children need us. By the way, grandfathers, if your children are grown like mine, let me tell you, it never stops. It never stops. Your children can be, your child can be, I'm 56 years old, my dad is 82, he's got every right to get in my face. He is my dad. He's my father. I respect him. If he comes to me and says, you're doing wrong, that's his, that he's got every right to do that. It never stops. Some of you have grown children that are not serving the Lord. Some of you have got grown children that are not doing what they need to do. That's on you still. It never goes away. So I, I, again, I'm just going to issue the challenge. I've asked Pastor Henry to come and, if he will, to, uh, to pray. Uh, over the men of this church and, and close the service. But again, if you don't remember anything else, the challenge is this. Act like men. Act like men. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.